In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome once again to our series, Life, the Islamic Answer. Where we had stopped the last time we met, <clears throat> we were going through the ingredients that are presented in our religion that make a human being an effective learner. And we said we're talking about this because when we start studying our religion, we see that the first step in this religion, the most important and the first step on the path in our religion is to become a learner is to acquire knowledge and to apply reason. This was the beginning of the series, and we are now at the point of starting to talk about what it means to be on this path, and we said the first step on this path is to start becoming a muta'allim, a learner, as it is described in our narrations. So we already went through a good number of ingredients, as we called them, Ingredients that when we put them together, we get the effective learner. A learner that uh, is as complete and as efficient as they can be, based all of it on, this is not what we think, this is all based on various narrations, traditions from our uh, religion. So we covered, for instance, the importance of dedication, the importance of deeper understanding, the importance of serious study, direct apprenticeship under a scholar, seeking and accepting the truth, uh, humility for the sake of knowledge, and that's when we started talking about the importance of asking questions, and so we're coming back to this topic, which we started last week. The importance of patience and perseverance, uh, the importance of writing, time management, making sure we use our mornings, early mornings, uh, eating and comforts versus sacrifice, and we talked about youth, self-motivation, internal drive. We talked about listening, the importance of listening as being an art and a science. Uh, the importance of critical thinking. And we reached the ingredient of asking. And that's what we began as a topic last time we met. So we said for asking, so that we build on it, we said that for asking... It is not as simple as we may think. Asking is simply, you know, whatever question pops up in your mind, you should ask it. Absolutely not. So just like speaking, just like listening, and we're going to come back to these in more detail later, inshallah. Asking is a science and an art. And this is very clear in our narrations. And this is what we're trying to build from the last time that we met. That first and foremost... Before I ask a question, I have to examine my intention. Why am I asking this question? Am I asking this question because I really want to learn and it's going to help me become a better person? Or am I asking this question because I have an ego and I'm asking out of stubbornness, uh, out of obstinacy, because I want to show that I know or I know more or I know more than the person who is answering. And so the question is going to put them in a situation where it's very difficult to answer, and so on and so forth. That's one topic. So it has to do more with, let's say, the moral aspect of asking. There's another aspect, which we began the last time as well, and this is what we're going to focus on a little bit more today, inshallah, and finish it. And this is the topic of the content of what I'm asking about. Not everything that can be known should be known. It's not just because I can come up with a question about a topic that I should ask a question about it. There's other factors that we should keep in mind. The most important of which is, is this information relevant to me? Is this information that should be a priority to me? Is it important that I know this? If not, I should not concern myself with it. 
I shouldn't come up with questions and start a whole discussion and engagement and back and forth about a topic that's not really important. Let that go. Focus on the things that really matter. Focus on the things that are relevant. This is what, inshallah, we're going to see a little bit more today, even though we started with that the last time we met. So you'll remember, you know, the examples that we used. The biggest one I think we spent the most time on is the story of the cow with Bani Israel and how they decided that instead of just listening to Prophet Musa salam, who told them someone has been killed, when they told him someone has been killed, he told them, just go and slaughter a cow. And everything would have stopped there if they had just gone and slaughtered a cow. But instead they came up with all sorts of excuses not to slaughter a cow, saying it's very difficult for us to choose and to know which cow you mean, so start describing it to us. And then the more they asked questions, the more it became very difficult for them to find the cow. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had made it easy for them. But when they started making things difficult, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made things difficult. Okay, so inshallah the moral from that is clear. So now we're going to continue with that same theme of these foolish inquiries. And we could spend more time on it, but just a couple more examples and then we move to uh, the next uh, examples. So this one from Imam Ali alayhi salam in this tradition, Imam Ali alayhi salam says that the Holy Prophet the Holy Prophet gave a sermon in which he explained that now pilgrimage is obligatory. It's incumbent upon you. So there's two ver- there's actually more narrations that say who was the person talking. It's not relevant. There are people who started asking the Holy Prophet. So as soon as the Holy Prophet said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made pilgrimage incumbent upon you, obligatory upon you, someone asked the Holy Prophet, is this an obligation every year, O Messenger of God? Imam Ali says, The Holy Prophet ignored his question. And the man repeated it a second time. And then repeated the question a third time. And the Holy Prophet is ignoring him. So the Holy Prophet is not ignoring him because he didn't hear The Holy Prophet is not ignoring because he's disrespectful. There has to be a reason, but the man is completely oblivious. He just keeps asking his question. Right? So, So after this, the Holy Prophet said, He told him, Woe to you, or how dare you? What makes you so confident? What makes you so sure? What makes you feel so safe that I'm not going to say yes to your question? Which is, is it obligatory every year? The Holy Prophet didn't say it's obligatory every year. He just said, Allah has made hajj incumbent upon you, obligatory upon you. Now you're asking me, is it obligatory every year? Why are you asking a question? And the Holy Prophet is going to explain. Alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. He tells him, what makes you so confident that I'm not going to say, yes, it's obligatory every year? Is it something that you can handle if I said, yes, it's obligatory every year? That's the question that the Holy Prophet is really asking. He's going to tell him. So he says, If I said, yes, it is obligatory every year, I swear by God that it would be obligatory every year. And then what? وَلَوْ وَجَبَتْ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ And then it be, if it becomes obligatory, this is something upon which you will not have any ability. You're not going to do it every year. You're not going to be able to do it every year. And then what? وَلَوْ تَرَكْتُمْ كَفَرْتُمْ And if you do not do it, then you would have become disbelievers. We have said something is obligatory to you for you to do every year, and you're not doing it every year. So you're becoming a disbeliever. And then another ruwaya it says, لَمْ تَقُومُوا بِهَا وَلَوْ لَمْ تَقُومُوا بِهَا عُذِّبْتُمْ You would not perform it. In another narration he says, you would not perform it every year. And if you do not perform it every year, God will punish you. فَتُرُكُونِي مَا تَرَكْتُكُمْ Leave me alone when I leave you alone. 
When I don't tell you, when I don't give you additional details about something, don't come digging for those details. When I leave you alone, leave me alone. فَإِنَّمَا هَلَكَ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكُمْ بِكَثْرَةِ سُؤَالِهِمْ وَاخْتِلَافِهِمْ عَلَىٰ أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ So let me be when you see that I have let you be for what destroyed those who were before you was the abundance of their questions and the incessant coming to their prophets. Right? In other words, they keep coming back to make things more difficult, to find loopholes basically. That's the, the, the bottom line. Okay, instead of just taking something at face value and doing it as simple as it is prescribed, and the Holy Prophet is going to give the key here. He says, he says they kept coming to their prophets and asking question upon question, and the more you ask, the more you're now responsible for what the answer is. You're now accountable because you asked and you received an official answer. Right? فَإِذَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ فَأْتُوا مِنْهُ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ And this is the spirit of our religion. Okay, when I order you something, when I order you something, perform it to the best of your ability. And when I forbid you from something, avoid it. It's very simple. It means when I'm not mentioning things, don't go digging for them. When I tell you something is obligatory, do it to the best of your ability. I say pray, perform a prayer. So long as I haven't said you have to pray a hundred times, if you perform one prayer, you're good. You have prayed. Right? So when I order you something, perform it to the best of your ability. And when I forbid you from something, avoid it. And there's a similar narration from Imam Ali alayhi salam. And another one, he says, قَالْ لَمَّا نَزَلَتْ وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ مَنِ اسْتَطَاعَ عَلَيْهِ سَبِيلًا Imam Ali alayhi salam says when the verse making the obligation of the Hajj was revealed to the people, the Holy Prophet ﷺ, so they asked, the believers asked the Holy Prophet, is it going to be every year that it is obligatory upon us? فسكت, the Holy Prophet kept silent. So two more times they asked the Holy Prophet, no, it is not obligatory every year. And if I had said yes, it would have become obligatory. That's when Imam says in this other narration, that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a verse in the Quran that says, O you who believe, do not, do not ask about matters which if they are revealed to you or where they are disclosed to you, they would trouble you. Don't ask about everything. Not everything that can be known should be known. Not every detail needs to be dug into and, and gotten. Okay? So in this narration, we get, to me, there's a key here in that statement, in that sentence from the Holy Prophet ﷺ when he said, when I order you something, do it to the best of your ability. That's it. That's the main condition. Everything else is a secondary detail to that. So long as you don't make it a troublesome, harmful, difficult situation for yourself. Okay? So that's a hadith. Another hadith. Another situation. So this was the story of the Hajj and when it was revealed. Another situation. Salman, the companion of the Holy Prophet, Salman Allah he says, سُئِلَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ The Holy Prophet was asked, so simn is today we would say oil or fat or grease. Okay, so there are people who came to the Holy Prophet and asked him about simn. So can we use the fat, the grease, the oil of an animal? Okay, well jibn, so cheese or those types of dairy products from animals. Well firaq. Al-firaq, there are two in fiqh. There's a discussion about this word. What does it mean? Because it's used in a number of narrations. It could either mean the leather that is used from an animal. So most likely it means clothes that you wear, the leather that you make from the bodies of animals after they're slaughtered. Or it can mean very specifically the meat of horses and donkeys and mules and that type of animal. That the, the meat of those animals is also called firra. 
Okay, so the, the narration says, Salman السلام, says, the Holy Prophet was asked, uh, so they kept asking about specific things to the Holy Prophet Instead of answering for every instance, for every specific thing, so this is a lesson for us. Instead of asking and answering about every specific thing, the Holy Prophet gives them a general rule. He says the things that are halal, they are written in the Holy Quran. The things that are haram, they are made clearly haram in the Holy Quran. And everything else that the Holy Quran has not mentioned explicitly, has not spoken about, this is afa'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has excused it, has allowed it. And here we have other narrations, by the way. We read one last week. We went through one of these last week where Imam Ali salam said, when God omits, when God keeps silent about something, it is not because God forgot about it. This is out of His mercy. You have to consider that as a mercy from God. He made one more thing easier for you. He didn't talk about it. Let it go. Keep it silent. If you go digging for it, you're probably going to get an answer that you did not want to hear in the first place. Why did you go asking about it? Right? So this is another narration that the Holy Prophet is saying, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept silent about something, you keep silent about it. It's been excused. It's been allowed. It's permissible. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not said this is haram. Okay. After this topic and in relation to this topic of not asking foolish, all of this I had called examples of foolish inquiries. Another way to be foolish about questions is not that you ask about something foolish. It's that you are acting in a foolish way when you ask. When you ask too much. You ask too many questions. There's a narration from the Holy Prophet he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates three things for you. By the way, this formulation, is mentioned in a number of uh, narrations. And we have multiple examples. And sometimes there's a slight, slight variation on what those three things are. I can give you a couple of examples. We'll see another one from Imam al-Baqir Okay. In this narration, the Holy Prophet says, God hates three things for you. So they told him, what are they, O Prophet? He said, the first one, su'al, asking too many questions. Thing number one. So there is such a thing very clearly, very explicitly in our religion. It's not something we deduce. It is something that is clearly, explicitly stated. Do not ask too many questions. Okay, God hates for you three things. The first, asking too many questions. The second, المال, wasting of wealth, wasting of money. Be smart, be wise in how you use your money or your wealth. The third, So the Holy Prophet is saying those two are one item. The third item is what? Being disobedient or disrespectful to mothers. That's when they would take and bury their daughters alive, right? The, uh, the Arabs, the pre-Islamic and early Islamic Arabs, they used to, to try to get rid of girls for all sorts of reasons. Inshallah, maybe in the future we can talk about the history of that habit, where it came from and why they used to do it. That they would bury their daughters as soon as she is born or as early as they can, they would bury their daughters alive. So both of these have to do with the position of the woman in Islam. So that disrespecting the mother or disobeying the mother. And so one of them is the mother, one of them is the daughter. Okay, so there's an injustice being committed to either one. Both of these are, the Holy Prophet says, the third item that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates for you. Okay, in another narration, for instance, the Holy Prophet, when he mentions these, he says he hates three things for you and he mentions... Uh, being distracted in prayer. You pray, but you're distracted in your prayer. In another one, he says, laughing in cemeteries. 
you go to the cemetery and you laugh as though it's a place to be laughing and chilling and entertainment. The cemetery is a place to remember death. You should be thinking about your own death and how it's coming to you. It's a place of learning lessons. By the way, it's mustahab to go to the cemetery for this reason. But if you go and you completely miss this point and you think it's just another place where you go and it's just an ordinary place to gather, then it's very, very discouraged, very makruh. The next hadith from Imam al-Baqir salam, in line with the same, the same uh, vein, the same line of thought of, as, as this hadith, Imam al-Baqir salam, says, and so this is very interesting, the manner in which, because I thought there is more to this hadith than the one the Holy Prophet said. Imam al-Baqir salam, starts this hadith by saying, when I tell you something, ask me about its source from the Holy Qur'an. Whatever I tell you, ask me, where is this in the Holy Qur'an? So the Imam is doing a few things with this little statement. The first thing he's saying is that everything I tell you has an origin in the Holy Qur'an. Whether you see it or not. So ask me about it and I will show you where in the Holy Qur'an it is. Unfortunately, we don't do that. That's one. Two, the, whole, the Imam salam, is also teaching a principle in our religion. That everything in our religion has its source in the Holy Qur'an, regardless of what the Imam is saying. So these are two separate points. The Imam is establishing his infallibility in the first point. He's saying, if I utter a word, I can't say that, me, myself. Me, Ja'far, I can't say, whatever I tell you, ask me where it is from the Holy Qur'an. Because what I say can be right, can be wrong, can be from my own thoughts, my own opinions and theories and things I heard and read, could be right, could be wrong. The Imam, however, he says, whatever I tell you, ask me where is its source in the Qur'an. Okay, so that establishes his, that he is equal, his sayings are equal to the Holy Qur'an. That's, that's the first point. The second point is that he is teaching them. In our religion, everything has to go back to the Holy Qur'an. So, and therefore, you as scholars, you as students of knowledge, you have to do the same thing. You have to learn to bring everything back, every teaching, every point, you have to bring it back to the Holy Qur'an. Okay? Anyways, and there is a point in there too that you see the care that the Imam takes in, in raising his students, right? In teaching them. He, it's not just knowledge that he gives them. He teaches them how to think. It's a, it's a very different type of knowledge that he's giving them here. He says, إِذَا حَدَّثْتُكُمْ فَاسْأَلُونِي عَنْ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ when I talk to you about something, ask me about the book of God. Where is it in it? And here the Imam is going to say three things that God has forbidden. Three things that God forbade. That's thing number one. We're going to explain it. One, so fasad al-mal wa kathrat al-su'al are the same that the Holy Prophet said in his hadith. He said God hates three things. The Imam says God has forbidden three things. The first one is al-qil wal-qal. What is the qil and qal? Qil and qal is exactly what it is. Qil, like it has been said. Qal is so and so said. In other words, gossip, rumors. You just sit and talk about he said, she said. And this is how they answered, and so and so did this, and so and so said that, and so and so went there. Okay? It's talking about people and rumors and gossiping and so on and so forth. So that's the first thing that the Imam is saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade. He forbade al-qil wal-qal. The second one, wafasad al-mal, to waste, to destroy, to waste your wealth. And third, wakathrat al-su'al, and asking too many questions. So again, this is a clear theme that we find in the narrations. Since the Imam gave them a very clear order, did you forget the order of the Imam at the beginning of the hadith? He told them, whenever I tell you something, ask me where is it in the book of God? So right away they applied it. In this case, they remembered the teaching of the Imam and they applied it. So they told the Imam, where does God forbid these three things that you just said? So in this case, they applied it. So the Imam says, 
لا خير في كثير من نجواهم الآية. So this is a formulation in Arabic used a lot. When they don't recite the full verse, because they expect the people asking to know, because they're scholars in this case, the Imam does not read the ayah. He just tells them a part of the ayah and he tells them the verse. So there's a verse in the Holy Quran that says, لا خير في كثير من نجواهم, Surah An-Nisa, 114. Uh, 4.114. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, there is no good in most of their conversations. That part, that's how the verse starts. The rest of the verse, the Imam doesn't read it, but it's extremely important for us. So there's one thing is understanding the hadith. The other one is how do we apply it? The Imam says, so that's the first. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Najwa is when people talk in secret or in, in, a, in a very low voice. Okay, that's the real meaning of najwa. But we can apply it to conversation in general or talking. The majority of what people are talking about, in secret or not, the majority of their conversations, la khaira fi The majority of what they talk about, there is no good in it. But then the verse says where there might be good. In which situations is it good to talk? In other words, and the Quran says, la khaira fi min illa man amara. Gives three examples. Unless someone is ordering or commanding or enjoining, encouraging, three things. Charity, sadaqah. This is going to lead to someone doing something really good, like a sadaqah. In time, in money, you sacrifice for someone else. Sadaqah. Or doing good. Or, or it leads, this talking is going to lead to reconciliation between people. People have fought, and now you go, and because of this talking that you're doing, it's going to lead to bringing them back together, reestablishing the relationship between them. Basically, everything you say should lead to good in the world. Charity, good, reconciliation between people. That's what the Quran says. This is the criteria of talking. Remember at the beginning of the series, for those who were with us from the beginning, we said there is an emphasis in our religion on silence. Silence is constantly, it comes back as a theme in our religion. By default, I said today, by default, automatically, as though the normal state of a human being is to be talking all the time. The truth is, by default, we should be silent. We should be quiet. The exception is to talk. Because talking means it's intentional. You have something very specific you're going to do with the words you're going to say. And these are examples of what you're doing. What you're doing is you're putting good in the world. You're encouraging people to go towards the good. You're encouraging yourself. You're bringing people together. You're giving them knowledge, whatever it may be. But what we really see the majority of the time, as the Quran says, there is no good in the majority of their conversation. That's why the Imam says, in qil and qal. And Allah qad naha anil qili wal qal. If it's just about he said and she said, and he went there and he did this and she said that, and there's no good in that, the Holy Quran says. That's one. So that's the first source, Quranic source to what the Imam is saying. The second one. وقال ولا ولا تؤتوا السفهاء أموالكم in Surah An-Nisa again in verse 5 in Surah An-Nisa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and do not give the money that God has given you the wealth that God has given you as sustenance do not give it to the sufaha to the feeble to the weak-minded amongst you by the way this is a very different way of using the verse and this could be a whole conversation that we can have the imam is taking a part of the verse and he's saying this rule that i gave you that god forbids you from wasting your money he could have taken other verses of the quran he chose this one this part of the verse proves it but if you look at the entirety of the verse the verse was talking about something else so the imam is establishing a whole theory, which we're not going to get into. This is an advanced topic. 
But the imam is showing how we can extract principles, general rules from the Qur'an, even from parts of the verses. Why? Because this verse is talking about which sufaha? Who are the weak-minded people? When you read the verse this way, وَلَا تُؤْتُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ وَلَا تُؤْتُوا السُّفَهَاءَ أَمْوَالَكُمْ وَالَّتِي جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ قِيَامًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you money. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not give it to the weak-minded, the feeble-minded, the sufaha. But the verses before and after, and even this one later, it's talking about the orphans. What is the verse saying, the classic interpretation of this verse? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you are a grown-up, you are an adult, and you are responsible for orphans. There were a lot of cases, for instance, a man may die, and now he has left orphans behind. And so their uncle, his brother, takes care of them. Example. So those orphans, let's say they are three, four, five years old. And there's a whole inheritance that is left. Who is going to manage that money? Well, that person is going to manage that money for them until they reach the rushd, the Quran says. Until they reach their maturity. Before then, they are too weak-minded they are too feeble-minded. They are sufaha. We may use the sufaha pejoratively. We may think it's an insult. The Quran is using it in the real sense. It's not an insult. It's saying someone does not have the maturity to spend the money wisely. So do not give them that money that God has given all of you as a sustenance. They need to live off of this money because this is going to be wasted if you give it to an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old and they don't know how to manage the money properly. Right? So you keep it and you manage it for them until they reach that age. But if you take that part of the verse alone, that part of the verse alone says, basically, do not waste your money. Don't put the money in the hands of those who are going to be wasteful of it. Which will apply to you as well. If you are destroying that wealth that God has given you, then this applies to you. You are now the sufaha. You are now the one acting with immaturity with the money that God has given you. Not the orphan who is still a child. Okay? So that's the second verse. And the third verse, so this one in Surah Al-Nisa, verse 5. And the last one in Surah Al-Ma'idah. وَقَالْ لَا تَسْأَلُوا عَنْ أَشْيَاءِ إِنْ تُبْدَ لَكُمْ تَسُؤْكُمْ The same verse that we saw a little bit earlier. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, do not ask about things which if they were disclosed to you, they would be harmful. Right? And so we saw a number of examples of all of this. Okay, so there's a, probably a number of questions you guys are thinking about. So I'm not going to say what the questions are. I think I know, and I think you know what the questions might be. I think this is going to be the answer to the questions you may be thinking about. Very short hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He's saying there's conditions. Meet this condition when you ask a question. Okay? The question is then, what happens to all the hadith that we saw earlier encouraging us to ask questions? Should we just stop? Do we not ask questions anymore? Is asking questions bad, wrong? No. That's not what we're saying. Imam Ali alayhi salam in this hadith he says, it's a much longer hadith, but this is the part that he talks about asking questions. He says, Sell amma ya'aniq, wala tas'al amma la ya'aniq. Ask about those things which concern you, and do not ask about the things which do not concern you. That's one formulation. That's one way to put it. That becomes your condition. You're not sure based on everything we said until now. Do I ask therefore the question or not? Imam Ali alayhi salam now is giving you the rule. He's giving you the condition. Make sure you check off this box before you open your mouth with your question. Does this concern me or not? If it concerns me, I should probably ask a question. If it does not concern me, then I should probably not ask this question. Okay? The second hadith in line with the same idea from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, لا تسأل عما لا يكون ففي الذي قد كان لك شغل Do not ask about that which is not 
It's a, it's a very philosophical formulation. Do not ask about that which is not. Why? For that which is, is sufficient concern, or is sufficient work, or is sufficient responsibility. Imam Ali says, don't ask about things that are not real for you. They haven't become a reality for you, or that may never become a reality for you. This is not a situation you're ever going to face. Don't ask about those things which are not. They're not reality, are not, as in they are not real. Don't ask about those things. Why? Because in those things which are, in your real situation, there is more enough for you to be already concerned about. There is already enough for you to know, to go ask about, that you should not be preoccupied with those things which are not, which are never going to become a reality to you. Focus on those things which are your reality. This is a, a huge topic. There's another version of this hadith. He says, For, the Imam says, explains, he says, For in those things which are, there is sufficient knowledge. Focus on those things which are. Don't focus on the hypotheticals. By the way, this is a very, very real issue for anyone who is in a situation of learning. The more time you spend in a learning world, in a learning circle, as a student of knowledge, the more you see that this becomes a, a real problem. We may think that this is not very common. It's actually very common. Especially in fiqh, but in everywhere. Where a lot of the questions that are asked, they're not the questions about the very real things people are dealing with. They're about hypotheticals. They're about things that may be interesting to someone, may be interesting to the person asking, but they should not be the priority. They are not the most important issue to understand and to apply and to learn about. We tend to focus on things that are either more interesting in theory they're hypothetical. They're, they're not even real. When people are starting to discuss, you know, religion, for instance, very quickly you see people starting to engage in these huge discussions about, I don't know, examples. You know, uh, what's, what's the Islamic theory on politics? What's the Islamic political theory? A whole discussion in fiqh. There were circles of, of fiqh, understanding Islamic laws, and people were discussing, how do you pray when you are in orbit around the earth? Do you have any intentions in the next couple of weeks of being in orbit around the earth? Is this happening? You're going to be confronted with this situation. Is this real? Is this what is or what is not? Imam Ali says, don't ask about what is not. It's not real. For you, this is not real. Or in the previous hadith, don't ask about things which do not concern you. If you're an astronaut, definitely it concerns you. If you're not, no one is your, in your immediate surrounding has an emergency of becoming an astronaut and they're not sure what to do next. If this is not a reality for you, it might be interesting, but really it's a waste of energy and time. For you and perhaps even for the Scholar, if you are discussing with a scholar, this is a waste of both of your times and both of your energies. Focus on the things that matter. Before you understand the Islamic uh, political theory or what happens when you're in orbit, do you know what to do when you're in doubt between the second and the third rak'ah prayer? These are basics. You should be doing that every day. By the way, what do you do? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> If you are in doubt before reaching the second sajda of the second rak'ah, if it's before, then the salah is batal. Anytime you have doubt with the first rak'ah or the second rak'ah, then the salah is batal. Unless it happens after you reach the second sajda. If it happens, then you can say that I'm in the third, and then you add a rak'ah. Anyways, that's a topic in fiqh to be studied. But these are examples where we have to have priorities. Do I know the basics of my religion before I jump into hypotheticals and advanced topics that may not even be relevant to me, that have nothing to do with my day-to-day -day reality? I haven't secured those things yet, 
but I'm jumping into all sorts of advanced, hypothetical, super technical topics that have nothing to do with my day-to-day -day life or my priorities and what's important to me. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, very interesting one. He says, كثرت السؤال تورث الملال The asking of too many questions leads to annoyance. It leads to boredom, depending on how you want to translate al-malal or al-malal, as the imam says. And there's a lot of ways we can come up with examples that this could apply, asking too many questions. One example, for instance, is where we're in a public gathering and there's a Q&A going on and it's interactive. No issue in asking questions. The question, however, should not be too personal in nature. When you ask a question that is not going to be very generalizable, it's not going to be the common situation of the majority of the people hearing, this is perhaps a more personal question. You need to ask that question one-on-one -on, -one on the side. Not everyone is going to benefit from this, even though this is going to be a public gathering. Right? These are, this is a type of example when the imam says it leads to boredom or it leads to annoyance. It, it's disrupting the entire gathering or it's disrupting the entire environment of learning because there's a lack of judgment in what was asked or how it was asked. Another situation can be, for instance, respecting the mood and the time and the circumstances of the person answering. How many people are there? depending on how many people are there, what would be fair for you? How much time should you be taking compared to others? If there's 200 people there and one person answering, you can't take 30 minutes for yourself because there's 199 other people who have not asked their questions yet. Right? Is this the right time? Am I taking the right amount of time? If I have more, I have to find another way to get that information. Okay? Is this person right now, is it a context in which there's a Q&A? Is it an environment where I can ask questions or should I wait for later? Is this the right person to ask these questions or not? One reality that I've seen a lot over the past couple of years, there are people who are lecturers. You prepare a lecture. Your ability to prepare a lecture does not entitle you to start answering questions about religion. All you have done is prepared notes and prepared to deliver a lecture. This has not given you any authentic validation that you are now a scholar in religion to start answering questions about akhlaq and fiqh and aqaid and every other field in Islam. Okay, that's another uh, example. Another example. The topic or the flow of the gathering. If there's a discussion going on about one type of topic, one type of content, we're talking about aqaid, we're talking about the afterlife, we're talking about tafsir of certain verses of the Holy Quran, we can't start asking questions about Islamic economy. Right? The question has to be in line with what is being discussed. This is one more thing that would disrupt that gathering. And we can come up with all sorts of other examples. I, I noted these very quickly. So when Imam Ali alayhi salam says, asking too many questions, maybe people will let one or two go. They'll forgive. But if you're that one person who's asking those types of questions, you're going to fall in this category. Where the Imam says, it leads to either annoyance, depending on how you translate it. It leads to annoyance or it leads to boredom. Which means that, there is a possibility that people will not even attend that gathering in the future because so-and-so is going to waste time answering, uh, asking questions. Right? So these are the things that we keep in mind. We've been talking about asking questions and how it's an art and a science. I think with this, we've seen enough evidence that in our religion, this is not something to be taken lightly. It's not just because something popped up in your mind that you should just right away automatically ask a question about it. Filter it. Examine your intent. Examine how relevant it is. 
Examine whether this is the right context, the right person at the right time to ask this question or not. And we're not saying if it's valid that you ignore it. And that's perhaps the reason why, you know, the pen and paper are always there. Note it. Take it down. Go research it. Go find the right person to answer that question. We're not saying neglect it. We're just saying use judgment to make sure this is the right context for that type of question. So inshallah with this, we don't fall anymore in the problem that we said someone may come up with, which is all along in the series, in the previous lectures, we talked about the importance of asking questions. And now for a couple of lectures, we've been talking about a hadith, about narrations that seem to be discouraging anyone from asking questions. So is it, is it the case that our religion is saying, don't ask questions? In short, inshallah, the answer is clear. No, everything we said about the importance of asking questions is still the case. There is no way to learn except by being open to receiving the knowledge and asking questions about it to clarify or to acquire the knowledge. We're just adding one more layer to that, which is when you ask questions, make sure they are the right questions at the right time from the right person and that your intent is because you want to learn. You want to grow. You want to learn from what you are asking. Okay, there's a lot more we can say here, but I think that kind of covers the, the main points of the topic, inshallah. Prayer is in about 10 minutes, so let's stop here, and inshallah we build on this. There's a couple more points we can talk about regarding the manners of the learner, so inshallah we'll summarize all of that and slowly we'll move to, towards the teacher. So any questions, comments? No, no one's going to ask any questions. Any comments, questions, concerns? Tawadlu. It's more of a tawadlu, um, but like uh, for the past few lectures, we've been going on asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, and then today and even remember the last one is don't ask questions, don't ask questions. <laughs> Within context, obviously. Um, but you see, and then throughout the series, it's not the first thing that we have of this, but throughout the series, it's always like, it, it pushes you to do something, and also from the other end, pushes you not to do something, kind of building etiquette of doing thing. But um, the way I see it, it's kind of like, uh, it kind of like builds a balance, and it pulls the line for that balance. And I'm assuming, like, is that how most of the religion is? Like, trying to build, make you a balanced human being, and telling you where that balance is? It's an excellent question. So you're using the, the asking question, not asking, or encouraging to ask questions, and discouraging from asking questions as an example or a case uh, that in our religion you're going to see uh, an encouragement of doing something and then on the other side maybe take your time and examine before you do it. Is that the case for everything? Yes. Pretty much everything in our religion unless something is pure good and even then you're going to see some caveats or something is pure bad and even then you may see some exceptions um, in our religion. And that's why sometimes people say, is it true that in our religion it says? Pretty much without knowing the rest, I would say, yes, it is. Most likely it is true. That alone is not enough. This is not the full teaching. The full teaching is you have to understand what is generally speaking the spirit of our religion about that topic. So about every topic, it's going to say, generally speaking, you should be. So asking questions, generally speaking, you should ask questions. Just make sure you're asking the right question at the right time from the right person with the right intent. None, nothing in here should lead you to say, therefore, I will not ask any more questions. Th that would be completely wrong conclusion, right? It's just there are restricting conditions in this case, there are other things where the religion is clearly discouraging, but it says there are exceptions. I can't go and uh, hold on to the exception and think that the religion is about the exception that was given. No. The, the, the position, the state of our religion is, this is something discouraged. You should not be doing this unless the, con the, the condition or the exception applies. So... You definitely need to know what the, the position is. And that's why we started with the position that, and we came back and we reiterated. The position in our religion is, when asking questions, you need to ask questions. 
You need to become a learner. Just like when we talked about youth. We said our religion says you learn as much as possible the younger at the youngest age possible. Is this enough to therefore say, use that as an excuse? I'm not going to learn because I'm past the point of learning? No. You're supposed to be a learner your entire life. That never stops. And that you didn't start early enough or as early as someone else is not an excuse. You have to start whenever you can. Right? So the general uh, position of our religion needs to be understood. And then the additional layers. And so the, the, the whole trick, let's say, is understanding what is the original position, the real position, and then what is added to it. And this is usually where the confusion happens, that people are going to go to the exception and try to present it as the rule. Or they're going to go to the other side, but the other side is not the general rule, right? It's the additional condition that Islam is forcing you to take into consideration, to examine, to make sure that your intentions are good, that the, the circumstances are uh, good for something to be done. And usually this is where people confuse it because they don't have the whole picture about a topic. So they focus on the exception, thinking that that's the rule, for instance. Yeah, but that's an excellent question. Tfadalu. Yeah, so the, the comment is that uh, when we went through the hadith where Imam Ali is saying that when Hajj, the verses of the Hajj were revealed, and then people started to ask the Holy Prophet, is it going to be every year? And the Holy Prophet's telling them, don't ask about things which you don't need to ask about. And then the contrast, as you said, the contrast where Imam Ali is telling them, saluni qabla an tafqiduni. Ask me before you lose me, before you waste this opportunity. Um, but even that, you know, depending on, we have some versions of that hadith where the question that was asked was a silly question, was a foolish question too, right? Even that was not seized properly. Um, and the second thing I would add to that is uh, that does not generally apply to the most most people, right? Imam Ali is Imam Ali alayhi salam. No one has said those words after him. And those who have, they have failed miserably because that's not their position. But even the other imams, out of respect, we have no such wording from any of the other imams that say, for instance, ask me before you... There's no such thing. So this is out of respect. These are words specific to Imam Ali alayhi salam. Right? And so this... And the same thing applies to the Holy Prophet We have in the narrations where... Um, Imam Ali alayhi salam, he would describe his, his relationship with the Holy Prophet. He says, I would uh, sit with him uh, and I would ask him until I had no more questions. And when I would stop, he would start. Right? He, he had that kind of relationship. But it, for sure, that's the general position in our religion, that you are supposed to be asking but in that case, we know 100% that he's meeting the conditions, that it's the right question from the right person at the right time, and then there's no issue. If we meet those conditions, ask away. That's the, the general intent. I'm just trying to understand what that means in practice. I look at the first narrations that, that we mentioned about uh, the person that asked the Prophet, um, do we do this every year for hatches? Is, is it mandatory? Do we need to do this every year? And the Prophet ignored him. To me, personally, that seems like a reasonable question to ask because the Prophet is telling you that this is mandatory. I need to understand like the exact rules with regards to this that I can fulfill them. But uh, as we know, the Prophet ignored him and got annoyed at him. So, if uh, you could just maybe explain um, what I'm missing there and what exactly is it that concerns us, what is it that doesn't concern us? So, so what was the hukum? 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ مَنْ اسْتَطَاعَ إِلَيْهِ سَبِيلًا It is a right that God has upon people that they should perform the hajj, the pilgrimage, uh, to the extent that someone has an ability to do so. The pilgrimage. Do I need to assume or add an assumption from me that therefore this is you know, every year or every month or every week or every 10 years? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not go in those details. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you a general rule. The general rule is so long as you can, you should perform the hajj. And that's why the Holy Prophet says, when I tell you to do something, when I give you the, the, the commandment, go and do the commandment to the best of your ability. What's the commandment? By the way, our entire fiqh is based on this. Inshallah, you'll study fiqh at an advanced level. You see that our fuqaha, this is how they reach the conclusion. So they say, for instance, what is the minimum the minimum amount of work needed to meet the condition. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. I'll give you an example. If the fuqaha today, they say, for instance, there are conditions in which a human being is supposed to fast two months, two consecutive months. A quick example. You have to perform a kafara. You do something in return, you have to fast two consecutive months. The fuqaha say, do you have to fast 60 days in a row? No. How much do you have to fast? 31 days. Why? Because you have performed the minimum to enter into the definition of the second month. Now you can interrupt if you need to. Of course it's better if, but if you can't and you're tired, you can take a break and start again. And then you can perform the rest of the 29 days. Okay, that's, that's an example. Where does this come from? This comes from these types of ahadith from which when you put them together, you can extract a principle. That so long as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made something obligatory or prohibited explicitly, you don't need to add that condition upon yourself. Take it in the easiest, the simplest way for you. That's why we have this constant repetition and reminders in our religion. This is a religion of ease. This is a religion of simplicity. Take it, you know, as it is presented to you, don't go digging for the. But when you dig, that's it. Story of the cow. Okay, all the Prophet Musa said is go slaughter a cow. They asked, but which cow? What are the conditions? Allah Taala said, perform the pilgrimage. So if you perform it once, did you meet the condition? You met the condition. You're done. But the Holy Prophet told him, Waihak, <laughs> what gives you the assurance? What makes you feel so safe that I'm not going to say yes? You have to perform it every year. What? Why are you asking this question? I may have said yes. And if I say yes, you're not going to be able to do it. And if you can't do it, then Allah will punish you. So th- this is, that's why I said, th- this hadith, by the way, that's why I said there is so much more to say here. It's a big topic. And it's going to bring us in very advanced topics in usul al-fiqh that we don't want to do. This was really about the manners of asking questions. Okay, but... To me, there's also something very interesting here is how far our religion has gone into even giving us these details. Things that may seem very common sense, I don't want to say very silly, but very trivial. And you see all these details given to us. If you ask a question, ask it this way. Don't ask it that way. Make sure you remember this. Make sure you meet these conditions. So that's why it becomes a shame when someone does not know any of that and you just jump into it. Right, But in, in any case, it might be, there might be situations where it is a little bit more difficult. These, that's why I said it could be a very long topic. The difficulty that they had, I think, is much more than the difficulty we have today. Their difficulty is that religion was still being revealed to them. Today, our religion is well known. The, the golden rule to us should be, I focus on the areas of religion that are deeply directly impacting my life does it have anything to do with my day-to-day am i fully comfortable with what i need for my day-to-day only then should i be looking at beyond out of curiosity fine if you have that time and that energy and go as a hobby you know and learn something more that there's no issue there but there's probably priorities 
right? Finish your aqaid, understand the belief system that you're supposed to have because everything starts from there. Understand your pra- the practical aspect of our religion, you know, purity, impurity, performing your salah, a refresher before the hajj, uh, if you're going to hajj, a refresher before uh, the month of Ramadan, before you enter the month of Ramadan. These are the practical rules. Keep in mind, this would break your fast. You don't want to break your fast. So this becomes very relevant, right? But someone who's not going to hajj, do you need to spend three years studying the 3,000 articles uh, of Islamic law related to performing the hajj? No. Right now, it's not something that is directly, there are things I would bet that are more directly impacting your day-to-day life than that. That's the, the crux of what we're trying to get to. And inshallah, there's more. We're going to come back to this in the future, inshallah. Prayer time. Sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.